Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is September the 8th, 2020, and this is episode 2726 of the Survival Podcast. At least I think it is. This has been a hell of a morning already. It's now afternoon. And so I was second-guessing that episode number, uh, trying to remember if I changed it or not when I dropped it in, and I did. It is 25-26. It's a Tuesday. Again, September the 8th, 2020. We have a roundtable topic episode. I'm, I'm finding a lot of you guys are giving me a lot of feedback saying you guys really like these because they're a mix of listener feedback from one form or another and just stuff I want to talk about. And that mix seems to work really well rather than going all one way or all the other. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. It's a long list, and we will be kicking ass going through it quickly because a lot of it has write-ups and uh, articles and things like that you can check out if you want to know more. So I'll give you the sky-high overview and a lot of really cool different information today. Number one, I have what I'm calling the new Honey Badger Kick-Ass Squash. I've been talking about this, this, this variety of squash, Trombuccino, Zucchini, for a long time. But I have a whole new respect for it because I gave it a chance to prove it could survive when it was supposed to die, and it did. I'll tell you about that. I have a new Telegram channel. Why the hell would you care about a Telegram channel versus a group? I'll tell you and why you might want to be on this for TSP informational purposes. It might be the best way ever to get updates from me on the Survival Podcast. Uh, in fact, ever, really. It is, I'm telling you. The state of the social for TSP, that's alternative social media. We'll tell you a little bit about how things are going with my experiment with new social media and getting off of Facebook, which I cannot tell you how happy that I am that I'm off Facebook. Next, I got, um, I got five new, five new cool things coming to TSPAS that are not on TSPAS yet. There was no way any of them were getting on TSPAS today. Um, but I want to just give you a quick mention of them and there are links in the show notes. So if you need one of these things or want one of these things, you don't have to wait. Till I get them written up in full, because they're all cool as shit. I went shopping for myself this weekend, and I'm very happy with the results. Um, reminder about the workshop going on sale. There's a new video out about that. Uh, I got some stuff off of the uh, Telegram group, not channel. Building a pond with future aquaponics expansion in mind. More on state-level jiu-jitsu, and I'm going to tell you about The limitations there are to state-level jiu-jitsu. You can't always win the battle with the state even by using the state against the state. Maybe it's judo is better than jiu-jitsu. Anyway, um, thoughts on shipper shredders? I got a question on that. That's a real simple one, honestly. Um, question on having an adult conversation when the two parties disagree, and I'm imagining that goes toward politics. I'll do my best there. I'm not a wizard. I'm really not. Um, Technology-based opportunities for entrepreneurs serving like the homesteader permaculture community. Um, little update on the, my ponds. I got new babies in the ponds. I, I, I announced earlier that I had new uh, baby bullhead catfish in the one pond. In another pond, I've got something else that I'm really excited about. That's just a quick announcement. The shit is hitting the fan right now in these these flashpoint cities. I'm not going to keep screeching at you guys to get out. But I am going to tell you what happens when you don't listen. There's a video out today that people are cheering, and it's like, did you watch the first 30 seconds of the video, and did you understand what happened? I don't think they did. Um, and then get ready to see COVID on full 
on life support. The curve is crashing like the 1929 stock market. I have a link where you can go back and see where I picked, like I called the top of the curve in Texas within two days. I really want you guys to understand what's going on here because the next two months are going to be stupid because COVID is just going away. I know it's hard to believe, but it is. But it isn't because they won't let it. And I'll tell you why you have to keep your mind right with all the crazy shit that's going to be coming very, very soon. Let's start off today with quote of the day. Quote of the day today is from William Shakespeare. And I didn't pick this one. I just went to Brainy Quote and picked out a quote of the day. Just, I didn't have time. I'll tell you about that in a bit. Didn't have a lot of time today. But I, I really like this one. It is not in the stars to hold our destiny, but in ourselves. I think that people are way too busy right now, especially looking for answers outside of themselves. How do we fix Portland? Do you live in Portland? No? Then maybe you let Portland worry about Portland. How do we fix Washington? That ain't happening. How do we make someone over here do this something over there that we want them to do that they don't want to do? That ain't happening. How about how do you get what you want in your life? Focus on that. If, if our way is a better way, then there is nothing more than we can do. There's nothing more effective we can do than to prove it by doing it, demonstrating it, and showing it. And that's one thing I love about things like permaculture and homesteading. Because you can build a thing, and you can point to the thing, say, there's a thing, and it works. And when somebody says, no, it doesn't, you can go, well, look at the thing producing the thing that I said it would do. And look at how it's impacted my life. And this is why my life is better because of it. You can deny it all you want, but you can't make it go away. And that is the concrete example of where we hold our destiny in ourselves rather than in the stars. Because the stars here represent far more than some sort of astro you know astrological concept, like the zodiac determining because you were born on this month, you're going to be this way. What it really is referring to is fate. Fate. There, there's two types of people. There are people that believe that our fate is written, and there are people that believe that we write our own future. I'm, I am of the opinion that we write our own future. There's so many times in my life that I could have made decisions that would have been for the good or bad at the time, but I would not be where I am today. And I would not go back, and I would not even undo most of my mistakes. I, my wife and I talked about this just yesterday sitting on our porch. Like Everything that I have here is the sum total of everything that I've done and every choice that I've made. And that means that everything that I will have or fail at in the future will be the sum total of the choices I will make from here on and the choices I've already made. My destiny is in myself, and I just want others to understand that your destiny is also within yourself as well. It's not in the stars. It's not left to the fates or to chance. And it's not somebody else's job to see to it. It's your own job to see to your own future. So let's start off with this uh, Honey Badger Kick-Ass Dual Purpose Squash at Trombosino Zucchini. I've talked about this, this, this squash forever. I, I, I think the first time I, I talked to you guys about it was like in 2008, the year I started the show. I think I did a video way back then in 2008 where I was dehydrating and making uh, zucchini chips out of uh, you know the summer version, the, the younger version of this exact same squash. So sometimes we're hard-headed, we think we know better than nature, and we have a gift sitting in front of us 
that we're unable to see because we don't give it a chance to do what it can do. And here's what I mean by that. I have, I have dealt with Satan's spawn, known as the squash vine borer, ever since I've come to Texas, and I despise this creature. I, I usually say all creatures in, in, in nature have a, a purpose. I, I put the squash vine borer like, up there with the fire ant. It, it, it serves no purpose other than to make me miserable. If you've never seen these things, good. You don't want to. They're not squash bugs. Squash bugs are things that get on the leaves of your squash. They suck the juice out of them. You get sad leaves. But generally, a healthy squash can handle a complete infestation by squash bugs. It still produces. You still get squash. right? What you can do is you go out there in the early morning or the evening when they're all out on the leaf and you just cut the bad leaf off and you throw them in the fire. There's ways to get rid of them. Not the vine borer. The vine borer kind of looks like a cross between a moth and a wasp. And it lays eggs on the squash and then... Those eggs hatch into little tiny worms, little tiny maggot-looking worms. And they bore into the vine of the squash. And they grow into great big fat worms about as big around as the tip of your, your little finger. Nasty looking. They look, they look like botfly larvae. And they eat out the core of the vine. And then, of course, when you eat the core of the vine, of the squash vine, it dies. And I have always had them get into my Trombuccino zucchini. So my method has been I plant them very early. As early as I possibly can. Then I start them indoors so that they're already well started. That way they grow fast. They make me squash. The vine borers come. They look really sad. And I cut them out. And I plant something new. What sucks about that is that the time that they're giving up is right when we're going into the brutal heat of the summer. So there's not a lot of things to plant in their place at that point. You could do like Asian beans or something like that. That's usually what I would do. This year, I decided, since they weren't dead, to just leave them alone. And there was one in a wicking bed that did, did die. But I had three other ones that were in the larger gardens, the new gardens. And they all lived. And I put a video out today, and I show like these like scabs, these wounds on the vines. Where you can tell the vine board, this, these are not like... Uh, Like butternut often, the vine borers can't get into the vine. It's, it's just too dense. This they went in. They ate it. It lived. And I was last week, in fact, just this last weekend, I had a friend over. And I said, I should just give up on them and cut them out. But I'm going to give them a couple more weeks and see if any more. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the, the rain came, the weather cooled a little bit. And boom, they're growing like crazy again. Some of them are over, the, the vines are 12 foot long and they're growing another foot every day. They're putting on female blossoms, they're setting fruit. And so if you have been plagued by the vine borer in the south, you want to give this a shot and do exactly what I just said. Plant it as early as possible, take care of it through the darth of summer, and then hopefully it'll come back for you in, in the fall. This is one of the greatest plants for sustainability, uh, for subsistence gardening that you will find. Because it is both a summer squash and a winter squash. And it, you determine that by how long you leave the, the, the squash on the vine. If you pick it young, when it's still green, it is, it is a delicious zucchini. If you wait until it starts to turn orange, even if it's not fully orange, once you pick it, it will cure and it will turn orange and get a good hard rind on it like a butternut. It tastes almost exactly like a butternut. But unlike a butternut, it's got this really long neck, 
And in that neck, there's no seeds. It's 100% flesh. It's a zucchini. You can use it like any zucchini. Or what I like doing, I make noodles out of them. The zucchini noodles. Because it's 100% flesh. You don't get down to the seeds and it gets all, 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 all you know, weak and falling apart. I got one of those, like the handheld little twisty, like a, like a giant pencil sharpener for making zucchini noodles. It makes the best zucchini noodles I ever had. But you let it cure, and I wouldn't say it stores as, as well as a butternut. At about six months, I've tried storing them about that long, they'll start to get kind of pithy, and they, they're not so good anymore. And then after that, like another month, they're just, they're just not worth eating. But you get good four or five months of storage where they store beautifully, and they're in perfect shape. And so what you have is a plant that will give you, in the south anyway, two flushes of production, it looks like now. You can let some go to be full-on winter squash and store them and take your younger ones and use it as a zucchini and defeat the squash vine borer. So I just wanted to put that out for you today. Next up, we have a new Telegram channel. I've been on and on about all these new social media outlets. Um, one of the things I noticed... And was like, that's nice when I got on Telegram was that they have basically three different forms of communication. You have individual communication. That means you and I know each other and we talk to each other like a text message. And we can send files and do all kinds of other stuff. But it's, it's for me and you to talk, right? Then there's what's called a group. And everybody in that group, when you post something, everybody in the group sees it. It's like a, a, a group text but could be hundreds of people in it. All right. And that's for communication and that's for sharing and building community. And that's what I set up for Unloose the Goose and then for the Survival Podcast. A channel is a one-way broadcast. So when I set up a channel and you subscribe to it, I can talk to you, but you can't talk to me. That might not sound very good for you, but it depends. Right? Everything is it depends. It depends on what you want. So what a channel is for is for a brand like me, an information source like me. Or maybe if you have a, a team that, that you, you know, of, of technicians out in the field that need to get updates and stuff like that, it would be good for that too, for like, hey, everybody needs to know that there's a new malware, you know, whether out taking care of customers or whatever. Like, I can think of dozens of ways to use this, but I think best is for a brand, a brand to be able to say, hey, we have a new post on a blog. Basically, replacing an email or something like a tweet or a share on a Facebook or a MeWe or something like that with a direct message directly to people who want to receive it but don't want to be bothered. Like, some of you guys love the groups, but some of you are like, the last thing I want is to be on a Telegram group with 500 other people and everybody's posting something all the time. Like, that's just not my thing. But you might be happy to get two to five, maybe on a busy day, six texts a, a day from me that say, hey, I got a new video out on squash vine board and defeating honey badger squash, like I put out today. So it's a really great tool. I, I'm, I'm putting this out as much to get you guys to use it and, and get on it so I can communicate with you because your customers are everything. But I'm also putting out for many of you that are, are entrepreneurs and may not have thought about how you can use something like this. Let's look at it for someone that is a handyman. That's a, that's a side hustle we get a lot around here. Handyman. Handyman is in uh, this particular area and goes out and has a job to do today. And he thought the job was going to take all day, and it turns out it's something he can just knock out fast. He's done in two hours. Doesn't have any other business he can pick up. Hey, I'm currently on you know Baker Street in the following area. 
I have an open day right now. Does anybody need anything? I'll cut you a discount because I'm already in the area. Send. Right? And you would have to say, if so, call me or text me at. Boom. Right? Because they can't talk back through the channel to you. But you've just hit everybody. Fishing guide. Have a customer that wants to go out next week, wants to split a trip. If interested, text me at. See? Right? So it's not just for information producers. Right? Tire shop. Just got a shipment in of, you know, I don't know, Michelin tires. One of the best ones yet. You know, I've got a special deal right now. Ten sets available. Sent. You get in touch with us at. Then a phone number. It just seems like it has so much power because basically what you're doing is a text service where the customer does not have to disclose their phone number. Now, yes, when you set up a Telegram account, you have to give Telegram your phone number. And that's done to make sure that you don't have fake accounts, like one number, one account type situation. It also integrates with your existing contacts in your phone, and also it knows people that you know so that it tells you, hey, Bill's over here or Bill just joined. So it's, it's useful that way. But I never see it. I never see it. I, I'm, I'm not even sure I can see who's subscribed. I haven't checked yet. I, but when I look at the, my channel that I just created, I see 86 subscribers. Yeah. Um, yes, I can see who's subscribed. But I don't have any personal information. I have whatever you've put down as your name. And uh, I just think it's really cool. And here's why you should join. One, so you can get all my cool information, right? You won't miss it anymore. But, I mean, you think about it this way. Like, when I send out an email, like, here's the T-SPAS item of the day, sometimes that item of the day is not available at 4 o'clock when I send out that email. Sometimes I find something really cool, and I put it out, and by the time you get that email, it says, not in stock. If you're on this, you would get that in, in almost real time. If I would put it on MeWe or I'd put it on Parler, I would put it on Telegram. Right, so you, that's one reason. Another reason is, are you coming to the TSP Fall Workshop? Because to incentivize people to get on the channel, what I'm going to do is Saturday at 10 a.m. on the blog will be a link, and I'll turn it on right at 10 o'clock. You can sign up here. But at 10 till 10, I'm going to broadcast that link early to the Telegram channel. See, now that means that you get a better chance of not having the event sell out before you get there. But think about all kinds of things that you could do with your business that way to build stronger relationships. So check it out. Uh, if you want to sign up for it, I have a post out today and a link, and you can go ahead and click the link and subscribe. Uh, real quick, I wanted to tell you that I did a write-up called The State of the Social, and uh That was about all the new social media platforms I was on. I want to give you the very quick nuts and bolts opinion so far. Number one, Parler. Parler has been the star. Parler has been the rock star of all the social media alternatives I've tried. It's growing fast. Big names are coming every day. New big names are showing up. It is mostly political, but that's what builds these platforms. And, and there's, I'm starting to see a lot of people posting homestead stuff. It's cool stuff like that. We're using hashtag TSP friends to find each other. That seems to be working well. I just hit 2,200 followers this morning. The big thing is I've been on Twitter for 10 years or more, 12 years, whatever it is. I have never had anything go viral on Twitter since about 2014 anyway, when they shadow banned me. I have all kinds of people say, I didn't even know you were on Twitter. I've, I've only got a couple thousand followers on Parler. 
I've had several of my parlays go viral in the last two weeks and get you know 60,000, 70,000 views, 500 echoes, things like that. It's never happened for me on Twitter. So I think if it's already doing that for me, it can only get better, and it's, it's a great platform to be on. I do keep getting people, you just wait, Pollard's going to start censoring people. And why? And it's always people that love Gab for some reason, that somehow see Parler as their enemy. Why? And I asked one guy, and he posted me this link to an article, and the article was where John, who uh, is a founder of Parler, said, yeah, we will cancel some accounts. You pretend to be somebody you're not, we'll cancel you. If you post pictures of your own excrement in response to other people, we will ban you. There are limits. I, I don't think that equals censorship the way that Facebook and Twitter are doing. I really don't. I don't think you can build a brand on the concept of freedom of speech and then take it away and expect it not to hurt you really, really bad. And people say, well, that's what Twitter did. That's what Facebook No, they did not. No, they most certainly did not. I've never seen Mark Zuckerberg claim to be an advocate of free speech ever, ever. Anyway, love parlor, the best of the best. MeWe, I'm, I'm really loving more. I've kind of had like a, a lukewarm relationship with it since putting in more effort. It seems to be working really well. Uh, we have MeWe is the place, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to build groups. And we have a great TSP group there. We have a great Regen Ag group there. Nicole Sauce has a great Holler uh, Homestead group there. Pretty cool. And MeWe's been great. Gab. I'm not loving Gab. I probably need to put more work into it and see if there, maybe there's some things I just don't understand. I'm seeing content from people I have no interest in seeing content from. And I'm wondering if it's because, I don't know why, but in some instances it might be because I'm subscribed to a group and they post it to that group and even though I'm not a member of that group, uh, or if, if I'm a member of the group, I see what they post. But it's also possible I see things from groups because maybe the person I do follow is a member of the group and if they post to the group then do people see it even if they're not a member of that group? I'm not sure. Does this sound confusing? It kind of is. I have run into more racists on Gab than anywhere else. Overt, out-and-out, piece-of-shit racists, just to be blunt. Like, N-word this, N-word that, N-word this. And I'm not talking about veiled racism. I'm talking about overt, disgusting racism. And... I have to block those people, and once I blocked a bunch of them, I see I don't seem to see many of them anymore. It's like they they come right to the surface. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that's bad. I, I don't necessarily think that's bad. I would rather know someone's a racist and not associate with them than associate with somebody who's a racist and not know that they're racist. So I, I I'm okay with it as far as as long as I can ban them. But if I had to describe Gab in one word, it would be buggy. And if I got two words, it would be effing buggy. And if I got three, it would be really effing buggy. Uh, it just seems like you, you make an update, it doesn't show for an hour. You make a post, sometimes it doesn't show up for a while. Um, you ban somebody, they don't go away. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 some people love it. I am you know limited on it. Telegram, I just talked about it, so I'm going to just say that it's really cool. And I really think you should be using it. Every time I say the chat is encrypted... Somebody pops up and says, you're leaving something out, and they're right. So the one thing you need to know, number one, on Telegram, if you're in a group, the group chat is not encrypted. You can't do it. If you're talking to me directly or anybody else directly, you have to decide you want it to be a secret chat for it to be end-to-end encrypted. So just know that. Library, L-B-R-Y dot TV. 
Um, been another home run. This is the video alternative to uh, YouTube, and I love that I just upload to YouTube, and once my accounts are linked, it's within five minutes of that video going live on YouTube that it's on library. It's making me money. It's not making me a lot of money, but it's making me maybe, maybe 20% of what YouTube makes me. And I have maybe, I don't know, 5% of the presence that I have on YouTube. Maybe. So that's pretty impressive. It is very much a free speech platform. It uses its own cryptocurrency. It's awesome. And I've got something that I want to set up with it. Um that maybe one of y'all could just get ahead of the game for me because I'm just I'm just burned out right now. I have I've so much going on like coming up to a workshop and all. Um, I want what I found on library that's really cool is you have a share function that is not for like sharing on Facebook or Parler or whatever. It's for sharing with your subscribers on library other people's content and videos. And so when I see a really cool video I can say repost, and it will post it to my channel as a shared video for my subscribers. I think that's really cool. And Parler, I'm sorry, Library actually pays you in cryptocurrency to do certain things, and that's one of the things you can earn some crypto for. So I'd like to create a group and maybe use Telegram to manage it where we all agree, everybody in this group, whenever you have a new piece of content on, on uh, Library, you'll post a link to it, and we'll all subscribe to each other. And then you'll share the content that makes sense for your channel. So if your channel's on, you know, fishing, and somebody posts some super political rant, I, I wouldn't expect you to. But, you know, we'll all commit, hey, I'll make sure I share a few every week. Because that will help us all get more traction. It seems like a really cool thing. And it seems like Telegram's the easiest way to, to manage that. So um, that's it. That's the state of the social. Uh, the, the rock stars have been parlor and library. Really have and and Telegram, Telegram. I'm, I I can't believe it took me as long as it has to become a fan of Telegram. I should have been using it for years. It's been around quite a while. Uh, and next up, some new cool stuff coming to TSPAS. This is just some cool stuff I bought for myself. It's all going to get online uh, over time. One, I have a microphone system, which is just like a wireless microphone that's really kind of made for people that are videographers and do video work and, and content producers that use phones. It has like every little accessory and doodad with it you need. And it's it's a it's kind of a classically designed, if you're familiar with like Sennheiser microphone systems, things like that. It's kind of like that. It's nowhere near as high end, but it works flawlessly. It works flawlessly. The Chinglish instructions on how to sync it are a little weird, but if you just do it And don't worry about when it says, like, please do this, then please do that. If you just ignore that and do it, it works flawlessly. The sound quality is excellent. It comes with everything you need, except if you're using an iPhone, that little lightning cable to 3.5 millimeter adapter that they send with your phone when you buy it, you'll need one of those. It does not have a lightning plug. It has a, a, a 3.5 millimeter plug. You, you put your little attachment on that, and everything else you need, you're ready to go. It works as good. I have a wireless microphone set that's kind of a pain in the ass to use with a phone because it's kind of bulky for the little quick videos I do. Um, that is like a $600 set of microphones. I can't tell a difference in the sound quality of it at all. And it's $54. Bucks. So if you do YouTube videos using your phone, and of course if you have like an Android phone it would work fine for that, 
I really think that the best thing you can invest in is better audio. Because the video quality on all these things now is great. A good tripod so you can have still video um, and a tripod holder and this thing. And I think you can launch a world-class YouTube channel with it. Also, I didn't put this in this segment, but I'll put a link in the show notes today. I found a cool-ass uh, iPhone app that lets you pause a video while you're shooting it and then start recording again. And it lets you finish a video and as long as you don't move if you don't move it and then delete it because it, it stores it in its own folder inside the app and then when you're done and you want to upload it you, you, you say save it to my photo library on the iPhone if you haven't gotten rid of it if it's still in there even if you did it last week and then you want to add to it you can pull it up and start recording again and append to it Now, why the iPhone's native camera app doesn't have a pause during recording button, I do not know. It is the dumbest, dumbest, dumbest thing that Apple has ever done with the iPhone. Maybe that's not true because Apple's done some dumb shit with the iPhone, but continues to do with the, not do with the iPhone. It is literally ignoring a feature that any video camera has always had. But with this app, and I don't remember what it's called, but I'll put a link in the video notes today. And maybe I'll put it out on the channel. See, if you get on the Telegram channel, you would get these little things like this that you miss otherwise. This thing is flipping awesome. So that would go with it, and it makes your life a little bit better as a videographer. Now, everything else is cooking. I found a brand called Cave Tools. I bought their smoker tube. I brought, bought their skewers for doing like shish kebabs and a skewer rack. All three are amazing, badass quality. I, I knew right away when I looked at the skewer rack and the skewers that I and I was looking for that. I wanted a set to do that with. And as soon as I found them and I looked at the reviews, I knew I, that I found the right company to buy from because they're heavy. And the skewer rack is really heavy. And I've used skewer racks before. That's so you, you set your rack on your grill and your skewers on your rack. And that way the meat doesn't touch the grill. It cooks from the hot air circulating around it, and it doesn't stick Because it ain't got nothing to stick to, you got it? And it doesn't flare up a lot unless it's really, really greasy stuff because it's not right on the grate, right? Um, and, but what happens is the racks warp on the high heat of the grill. These things are heavy. I mean, like, you could smack the crap out of somebody with one of the, there's two sides, you know, one each rack, and they're designed for the skewers to lock in. You can use any skewers with them, but they're designed, if you're using a flat skewer, which I recommend, because then your meat doesn't spin on the skewer when you turn it, Um, that they lock. So you can turn them one way, they lock, and then flip them 180, and they lock into the little Vs. But you can use any skewers with them. Their skewers are awesome, too. They're 17 inches long. I made uh, my Szechuan, uh, Szechuan pepper beef skewers with them this weekend. They were great. I also have been talked to by a lot of you guys about smoker tubes, and I've been wanting to get one. Cave Tools had one. You can get them anywhere from 8 to 20 bucks, 20 bucks on the upper end. The cave tool one was $19.95. I was in and out on whether I should get it or not, but I was looking at the heavy gauge steel, and I got it, and I love it. And more will be coming on these things. And then I, I needed some pellets because I've never done pellets before, so pellets uh, for the smoker pellets to go into the smoker tube. So I bought the Traeger blended pellets. It's like three different woods blended together. Fantastic flavor. And if you look at the smoker tube, And you go on Amazon, you read the reviews, you'll see a lot of shitty reviews. 
This is one of these situations where Amazon vendors make huge mistakes. They list two products that are so tightly linked to each other that when you're looking at one, you can just switch to the other one. You've seen that. And then the Amazon review system attaches all the reviews to both products. And all the negative reviews are for their smoker box, which apparently sucks. But the, the, the tube is awesome. I, smoke, I put some smoke on these skewers. It was delicious. But then I was like, okay, I have put more pellets in there than I needed. So I dumped a, a whole glass of water on it to put it out. And I walked away. An hour later, I came out. It was, the grill was smoking. And I opened it up. The grill's off, right? And the smoker tube's just, it just kept going. So I dumped another glass of water on it. It kept going. I don't know what it would have took, but there would have been nothing left of the pellets from decomposition at that point. So only put as many as you need, but it works beautifully. So those will all be coming to T-SPAS maybe this week, maybe later. Again, the workshop goes on sale Saturday. I put out a 20-minute video. That video plus the squash video that I put out today both use the new audio microphone system that I talked about. Uh, but if you want to come to the workshop... It's going to be off the hook awesome. I just got two more confirmations from instructors that will be here that are top-notch people. Dr. Ken Berry will be here. He will be presenting on the proper human diet. Getting to spend three days with Ken Berry is probably worth the price of the admission alone. Ken Berry is big-time, amazing, successful online, and we're so lucky to have him as an expert panel member, but now he will be an instructor at TSP Workshop 2020. And John Bush, one of the gaggle members from Unloose the Goose, he will be here. He will be presenting on freedom cells and intentional communities. And there's a bunch of other stuff. And I'm not raising the price. I said I might go to 550. I got the price back on the pig roast. Way too expensive. Way too expensive. Um, I would have had to raise the price maybe 75 bucks a seat. I didn't want to do that. And I would have, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere with it. I was still actually lost a little money over not doing it. So I'm just not doing the pig roast. We are doing this awesome taco bar thing. If you've ever seen like the um, the Greek Euros thing where they have the huge skewer of meat with the open flame and it spins around, it's like that, but it's for tacos al pastor, and it's made with the pork, and then they slice it off of that, and they throw it on the flat top to crunch it up a little bit. It's just cool. So that'll be one night. We'll be doing chicken and fixings another night, and we'll be doing our big barbecue night on the last night, which is going to be black pepper sausage, brisket, and some other cool stuff that is always a surprise. But usually it'll be some sort of uh, really exotic game sausage or something. I'll tell you one I'm trying to get my hands on. I've done it before, but I haven't been able to do it for the past few years. It disappeared. I can't find a supplier I can get it from without like giving my IT for it. But rattlesnake and rabbit sausage. I discovered that from Tim Love at Lonesome Dove down here in Fort Worth. And then when I found that D'Artagnan carried it, I was like, this is awesome. And I wanted to do it last year and the year before, and it wasn't here. I may do something like that if I can find it. I may do something like some really cool quail pop, jalapeno poppers or something. But there'll be something really cool to go with that last night. That last night is off the hook. Um, Saturday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Why do I keep saying this? Because every year I hear from somebody like on Sunday after it sells out, angry that I didn't tell them enough times. So there it is. Uh, next up. Uh, I went on the Telegram group chat, that's the one where everybody can talk for TSP, and said, okay, I'm late in the day, I don't want to go through emails, throw me some lightning round topics for today's roundtable. And the first one came in from Buddy, I believe is who it was, uh, but building a pond with future aquaponics expansion in mind. And what he wants to do, he wants to build like an eight-foot Miyagi 
which is the 4x4 timber frame pond like I built. He wants it to be about two feet above ground and about three feet below ground. So everything below ground doesn't need the timbers. You can just have a hole and backfill that way. I would, if you're going to do that, I would use plywood to reinforce the sidewalls, cheap plywood. Like when you go and see a construction site and there's men down in a deep trench, now you're not you know the size and dimension of this is not going to be a problem uh, like that, but because uh, you're not going to it's not going to cave in on you and kill you, you know, to go three feet deep, eight foot by eight foot, that's not going to happen. Um, but you are going to have to have you're actually going to have to go smaller because there has to be something for the four by fours to sit on. You see how that works? So I would go with the plywood reinforced walls, at, but like oh I don't know seven foot. Eight by seven foot eight, and, and maybe it's a little bit smaller than that because you know you're the inside dimensions of the four by fours. So you know, set up your first course, mark it out, and go inside there. Reinforce that with plywood, and then you can kind of have a step at the bottom where it kind of moves in a little bit. You won't see it, but that's nice because now you can have a five foot deep pond, but your top rail is going to be two foot. If you're actually going to have two foot of depth, your top rail is going to be about two foot six because you're going to have one more course of four by four and a cap rail. So you're going to be about two foot six, which is a nice height, 30 inches, nice height, nice to sit on, you know. And, and you're making and it's going to cost less because you have a lot of money in the lumber and you have a lot of money in the structural wood screws or the spikes. So that's a that's a great idea. I would tell anybody considering building one of these, give it a go. It, it'll. It, I, I am having so much fun with mine. They have made my life better and my my homestead better in so many ways. They really have, and they look beautiful. They just look. They look. We call them Miyagi's because they do look like something from Karate Kid from the '80s movie that would be in Mr. Miyagi's backyard. Even though it's not what was in his backyard, it looks like it belongs there. My buddy Dave is the one that came up with the term, but he wants to do it with future aquaponics expansion in mind. And he's worried, you know, what do I do to make sure that that's okay? Okay, I think first of all, you have already done the most important thing if you want to do that. And he doesn't want to do like big ebb and flow beds. He wants to do some flow through wicking beds. So you'll have some stands somewhere. Water will come from the pond, flow through the bottom, and return to the pond. The most important thing is the height. And, and getting your return height down to about two feet... That's fine. That means you can put your, your bottom of your wicking beds. If your wicking beds are holding, let's say, eight inches of water, the, the bottom of the wicking bed can actually be at the height or a little bit lower than the top of the pond. The stand-up needs to be higher. So you'll have a stand-up pipe that sets the overflow limit, and that needs to be higher and needs to come back. The most important things I would look at if you were building a Miyagi pond for doing this And it just doesn't work for me because the entire reason I came up with the idea is I can't go in the ground. If I could go in the ground, as big as my property is, I just have normal ponds. But if you're trying to fit this into a suburban environment or something, so going down is not the problem, but you want kind of that lifted up rail, you want the look, uh, it's just e it's easy to do. It's one of the easiest projects you'll ever do once you get on with it and get it done. You're, you're going to want to make sure that you can get back in without having your beds too high. Because right now, I would put some ebb and flow on both of my Miyagi ponds if I could do it without it looking like ass because I have to have it so far up in the air. Just for the filtration. So flow through wicking beds, since you have a, 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 a lava rock base, 
that the water flows through, that's just as good as ebb and flow from a filtration standpoint. So then the next thing that you need to think about is what you're going to make them out of, where you're going to want them to be located, and how your return lines are going to run. And I would really think about when you get to your top rail, it will there will never be a time. So when you do a Miyagi, you have 4x4s kind of built like a, like a log cabin shell. And then you put a, a pond liner inside it. You drape the pond liner over the edges, and you put one last course of 4x4s on there. And if you're smart, you put a bead of silicon all around on the top of the pond liner and you sandwich it together using either the big galvanized spikes or uh, structural wood screws. The wood screws cost as much, if not a little bit more. They're just as strong. They're easier to put in and they're much easier if you make a mistake to take back out. So I really recommend that you use the structural wood screws for this. Whatever penetrations, though, that you're going to need for pipes to get through, do them before you attach the top course of 4x4s. All I did was I marked out an overflow, and I took a circular saw and I plunged into it, and then I made a bunch of cuts from the bottom, and I used a chisel and cut it out, and I made basically, it looks like, you know, a, a joint like for uh, a log cabin, and then that flipped upside down and it set the overflow. I probably could have made another one or two of those or some other type of uh, gap. And I would say that you could very easily just, instead of doing it that way, you could just cut a section out and then put attach both sides of that and then run your cap wheel across as a bridge. It would be easier to do. You should probably leave a couple gaps like that in some strategic areas to bring pipes back in where they can come up the sidewall and go through rather than over the rail. That is the best advice I can give on making sure, because otherwise the other thing is making sure it's deep enough. Uh, somebody asked about state-level jiu-jitsu and said like, you almost have to be like a black belt in state jiu-jitsu to even exist in California anymore. I, and they wanted me to talk a little bit more about it. I actually wanted to talk about the limitations of state-level jiu-jitsu. So state jiu-jitsu is not really about the state of California, the state of Texas, or the state of Florida. When I say state jiu-jitsu or statist jiu-jitsu, what I'm talking about is whatever governing body exists in the way of you getting what you want in your life. And how do you get it anyway? A classic example is California passed a law that made it almost impossible for people to do Uber or Lyft or Uber Eats or DoorDash or Amazon deliveries or anything like that because it made it impossible for those people to be employed as contractors. It didn't say you're not allowed to do Uber or Lyft. It said what you're doing constitutes employment and therefore you can't do it anymore unless they want to give you the benefits of being an employee because the state hates contracting because contracting eliminates a lot of their ability to harvest money. So as soon as I saw that, I immediately figured I had the answer. And I had to check to make sure I did, but I did. And all you do is you set up an LLC. And then you have corporate-to-corporate -corporate billing, and it all goes away. And since you work for your corporation, your LLC, and you are an owner, none of this applies to you. None of it applies to you anymore. Like, you can't be a contractor. I'm not a contractor. Well, the employee and company's taking advantage of you. It can't. I'm a partner. I'm a, uh, I'm a managing partner in the corporation. 
in in a an LLC, we call it being a member. And if you're the only member, then you are the sole owner of the corporation. You can do anything you want inside that corporation within the bounds of the law. So that's one example of getting around a law in California. And the people that did it right away found that they could get a lot more fares for a lot more money because all of a sudden there were less Uber and Lyft drivers, etc. And it took this extra step. So by taking the extra step, you got ahead and you still got to do what you wanted to do and you pushed the state out of the way using their because the state incorporation is the state's system. So you're using the state's own system against the state so that, to move it out of your way. Instead of you because you, you can't use enough of your own force to move the state, the state has all the force, so you reapply the the opponent's force against them. Very martial, right? And like I said, maybe maybe judo is a better analogy than jujitsu. Right, because judo is a lot, a lot more of that school of thought of the the enemy's force against the enemy, and the harder they come, the harder they go. Jiu-jitsu does the same thing in a maybe a different way of getting there. And before anybody gets all butt hurt about this, because I tell you what, jujitsu is the greatest martial art that creates the greatest amount of butt hurt amongst its practitioners. If you don't like kiss the jujitsu ring, right, especially Brazilian jujitsu. Um, I think it's a better martial art than judo, just so you don't have to be a butthurt BJJ practitioner today. I don't, I don't have the patience to deal with you today, so I'll just give you that. It's not really germane to, uh, to my point. What I wanted to add, though, from the comment that I got in the group about, you know, to live in California, you have to be a black belt in it or whatever. Maybe you don't need to live in California anymore. It has limits. Status jujitsu has limits. You, it, it doesn't mean you can do anything or everything or there's always a way around it. There's usually a way. And sometimes the best way, remember we saw about Mr. Miyagi today, right? The, the, the best way to block a punch is when it come, they'll be there, right? Said something like that in Karate Kid 2. When punch come, you'll know, be there, right? So a lot of the things that are getting in the way of your life, if it's truly where you live. And there is a place to go where that thing wouldn't be there. And it and if it really is your problem, if you would really be taking the action if that impediment didn't exist, then moving might be the answer. And I've been a pretty big fan of walking to freedom for a long time and voting with your feet for a long time. That this is not a new thing that just has to do with these cities like Portland and 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 Seattle burning. But I caution people with this because I often find that people will use excuses as to why they're not doing what they should be doing and whatever the most convenient excuse is, they'll, they'll grab onto it and they'll say, this is why I'm not. And they'll do it initially so that other people will leave them alone when they're complaining and stop telling them to get off their ass and do something. But eventually they'll do it enough that they actually believe it themselves. But if that person were to move to this new place where that impediment wasn't there, they would just sit there and still not do it. And then you're not home, you're away from home, you're away from friends, you're away from contacts, and you still haven't solved your problem. So unless you actually intend to meet the opportunity with the action that you went there for, then moving is probably not the smartest thing for you to do. So one of the reasons I'm big on status jiu-jitsu is it requires of us that we, that we test the fence like the pig does in every way possible before we say something can't be done. And if you've done that, and you really would be taking another step that you can't, or you're just tired of a state like California robbing you of your income, 
then I think it's time to look at going somewhere else. And of places to leave, California's at the top of the list. California would be one of the greatest states to live in if there were no people in it. Or if half the people that are in it weren't in it anymore. And I'm looking at you, L.A. and San Francisco, as, as your primary two causes of this misery. Right? I mean, good Lord. If you could get rid of the liberal lunacy in California, it would be a fantastic state to live in. I might even live there, for all, for all you know. I mean, really. Uh, somebody asked a question about chipper shredders. Uh, I have one that I bought from Home Depot. It's a good chipper shredder. Um, it does a great job. I'll see if I can find it online so I can link to it. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I don't think it really matters. When it comes to shipper shredders, what I would tell you is get the biggest one you can afford. Just like no one ever, I always talk about when you're plumbing, you know, aquaponics projects and, and hydroponics uh, projects and stuff. Like when you're thinking, should I go higher on my return lines? Yes. If you can afford it and it makes sense and it's not like going stupid, like you're delivering with a low pressure half inch line, you're returning with a six inch sewer pipe. If you're not doing, if you're not going to that extreme, yeah, because no one ever is like, you know what, gee, I wish my return lines were smaller, right? They, 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 no one ever says that. So go with bigger return lines. When it comes to chipper shredder, nobody's like, gee, I wish this was smaller. I wish this, I wish the hole that I'm, I'm shoving this tree into right now was smaller. I wish it had less power. And it's, it actually takes a tremendous amount of power to a good, do a good job with chipping and shredding. But I would say the next thing is, if you're going to buy one of these, it's an expensive piece of equipment that requires maintenance, that takes space up in storage. Make sure that it makes sense for you to buy one. If you can rent one, at an affordable price, and you have to find out in your market if you can, and you can do that twice a year and get it all done, all that you really need to do done, it probably doesn't make sense to buy one. Because you will be shocked the first time you take a great huge pile of brush and put it through a chipper shredder, how little wood chips you get. If you're doing it to get rid of material, yeah. And then you see the wood chips as a byproduct? Yeah. If you're doing it because you think that you're going to make money by doing your own chipping, and you don't have a massive amount of brush to, to, to chip every day, you're probably not going to. You would probably come out ahead just buying wood chips, let alone renting a wood chipper. If you have a small amount of brush to contend with, the easy answer is fire. And maybe cutting some of it up to make biochar out of But just saying, like, make sure that this makes sense for you. Next, um, another person asks, how, how do you have adult conversations when two parties disagree? And if you're talking about hot-button political issues right now, at this moment, if that other party doesn't want to, the answer is you don't. And, in fact, all the time, if that other party doesn't want to, you don't. You, in any situation where you're interacting with other human beings... Never give yourself the illusion for even a moment that you actually control how that other person acts. Now, you can trigger reactions, but you don't control them. And what I mean by that is there are certain things you can say that are highly inflammatory that will make it more likely that that other party will be aggressive in their response. And there are certain things you can say that will make that less likely. But in the end, 
everybody chooses to respond to everybody else in the tone and the manner and, and the way that they do. So the only thing you can ever control in a conversation is you. And I am of the mindset that when I've given a person facts, as I understand them, there are two reasonable responses and only two reasonable responses to that presentation of fact. One is that that party accepts those facts and then either alters their position or explains why their position remains unaltered by the facts. That, that's a reasonable one. The other one is for them to go, you have your facts wrong, and then present legitimate information that counters those facts. So I know you believe this is true, but if you look here at this source, you'll see that it's not. And then we can discuss the validity of that source. I'm not going to just shriek, but that source is liberal. I'm not going to do that. That's stupid, but most people will. If that source seems legitimate, even if I don't like that source, then I need to start picking and prodding and pulling critically thinking. And then you work through things together, and you both evolve your position. And even if you don't change your position, you understand each other better. That is the goal. So I would say that the only thing you really can do is you explain it that way. If we're going to do this, then I am going, if, if I'm going to spend my time discussing this topic with you, then these are the, and, and we already know we're starting from a point initially of disagreement, and we both want to discuss this so that we can either convince the other side or at least learn from each other then these are the ground rules. We're going to stick to facts. If we claim something, we're going to be able to back it up with a source. And we are willing to each be challenged in that. And we are both being willing to have this conversation as a matter of exploration of a topic. If you're not going to do that, if you're going to shriek and yell and chant catchphrases at me, or tell me I'm stupid, or that my puppy's stupid, or whatever, then I'm not going to do this with you. And I would also say that if you have a person that you've done this with a hundred times on the same topic, no. I've been to permaculture workshops where somebody finds out that, oh, I don't believe in man-made global warming, at least not the way they teach it, and they want to talk to me about it. If it's not disruptive, I will have the conversation for about ten minutes, and then I will say, there's nothing you're telling me I haven't heard before. You have no new information. I imagine most, most of what I'm telling you, you either refuse to investigate, do not believe, or disagree with, or think doesn't matter. I see no point in further continuance of this conversation. And I've had people almost beg me to continue the conversation. And I'm like, no. No. And then the third no is, listen, I've said no to you twice, I've been polite to you, and I'm done. It's never gone past that. It's never gone past that. And I think sometimes that's the way to be. And I know that we all want to share our ideas. We all want to have constructive conversations. But once you've entered the space of this is not going to be a productive conversation, then it's like trying to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and it annoys the pig. Just don't do it. Don't, don't do it at, at once you get past that point. Next up. Uh question was on technology-based opportunities for entrepreneurs serving like homesteaders and things like that. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that can be done. Uh, one product that springs to mind for me is SecureCoop. I'll put a link to that website uh, where you can learn more about that. One of our contacts in TSP has this you know, automated coop door type thing. A lot of things can be done with Adrenos and Raspberry Pi and automation and stuff like that. I think this is a challenge, though. I think this is a challenge, though, because people either 
are the kind of people that like to play with this type of technology and are willing to go through the learning curve to make it work, or they're not. And if you are going to be the person that provides technological solutions to the person, that, that, that you know, one of those two parties, there's only one that really makes a lot of sense right now. That's the person that doesn't want to do it. The person that does want to do it is probably doing it. Now, I guess there has to be some segment there that's like me when it comes to building a deck. I can build a deck, but I don't have freaking time for it, so I want somebody else to do it. In this niche, though, I haven't found a lot of that. Either people really understand what the tech can do, and even if they don't know how to make it work, they're willing to plod through it and do it themselves. Or they don't understand it, and they don't want to understand anything that uses a single word that they do not understand. So if you're like, so man, I got this system and what it's going to do is take care of all your irrigation with Raspberry Pi and Adrenos and open source software and done. I, I don't even want to hear it. I'm done. Even like you might have had me at it's going to take care of all my irrigation. Okay. Let me tell you how. I don't care how. How much. That's all that person wants to know. What does it do and how much does it cost? That's your ideal customer. The problem. It is inevitable that to install that, to, to implement that solution without that person having to learn any of the crap that they don't want to learn. You almost have to be there so it makes a remote product difficult. What Secure Coops tried to do anyway is to make a product as close to as plug and play as possible. It's easy to understand. I put this thing in, I set the times that I want, it lets the chickens out, it puts the chickens to bed. And so I think one thing you can do is that. You've got to have a deliverable that requires as little technical knowledge as possible. And you, this is something technical people have a very hard time understanding. What you think is not a big deal, the person that you're paying you does. That's why they're paying you. So when you start rattling, well, all you got to do is hook this up and program that, and it's done, I'm done, I don't want to do it. And that's what you're dealing with. So you have to make it as plug-and-play and simple as possible. And you've got to be very careful with your words. I would not say all you do is program the timer. I would say set your time. Set the time that you wish for open, set the time that you wish for close. Do not use words like program. Do not use any word that's technical sounding, that's a buzzword, that's not unless it's absolutely necessary, use a commoner's word. This is not a proposal to get venture capital money where you're looking to stuff it with buzzwords. So keep it simple. B bluntly simple. Another opportunity I could see, though, for people that are good with design and programming would be in the whole 3D printer world. I actually think you could do a good job selling printers if you could tell people why they want one. So if you came up with 20 or 30 things that could be 3D printed that would be commonly used on homesteads, for instance, or anywhere. It doesn't have to be the homestead niche, but just we're, that's where we're at, so let's play that. You know, chicken nipples for watering, bushings, and I mean, any as much as you can come up with that if I was a homesteader, And I had a limitless budget. Or as a rancher, I had a limitless budget. And I had a great big cabinet. You know the cabinets that have little slide dealies in them? 
You'll have washers and nuts and stuff like that. And I could have anything I wanted. Fittings, pieces, things that are easy to 3D print. But they're not cost-effective to 3D print in mass. But they're cost-effective to 3D print when I need one now. Or I need five and I'm never going to need any more and I can make them right now in front of me. To design them and then to sell the plans. So I take this, I send it into how I don't even know how it works. I, I, I still have to buy. I said I'm going to buy one. I'm going to. I'm going to buy a, a 3D printer at 3D Printer Go Burr, right? Uh, from Sal May Mayweather, uh, Sal the Agorist. I'm going to buy one of his 3D printers. So I don't even know how it works yet, but I, I understand it's a file. Somehow it goes into the printer and it says print this thing. And then market that. With this 30-piece bundle, your homestead has access to as much of this whenever you need it, ever. Oh, you don't have a 3D printer? Click here to buy that. I think that approach might work. And I'm sure there's some other ideas that you guys can come up with as well. But the big thing, do not use words that the non-technical person does not understand or does not want to hear or does not want to do. Speak in the language of your market. And your market is, I want to make this thing. I want to set this time, right? I don't want to three-dimensionally design this thing, and I don't want to program this timer. I want to set the time. Not See, set the time is, beep, program the time, sounds like I'm hooking shit up and, and, and logging into NASA. That it will it will kill your market, kill 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 your market. Uh, next up on the ponds, we've been talking about the uh, Miyagi ponds a little bit today. I am having like the best year for life evolving on my property. I went out a couple weeks ago and I was just checking on everything, put the ducks to bed in the dark, and you can see if you guys have ponds, especially like backyard ponds, garden ponds, Miyagi ponds. You can see things at night that you will not see during the day. Because if you shine a bright flashlight into the water at night, the fish don't all hide. Some do, but some stay. So I was out there, and I'm shining this light, and I see some of my big old green sunfish and all up in the shallows like they do at night, and I see these little fishes. And I'm like, those aren't minnows. And I look at them, and I, I'm, I'm not really sure, but I've seen, a, I've seen a couple where I can tell. I think I have baby green sunfish, which are kind of like a sort of like a bluegill thing, but they get a great big mouth and they eat everything, and they get really big and and and, and heavy duty uh, as far as a sunfish goes. They're a great eating fish, really firm, white, delicious flesh. And I have red ear shell crackers as well that I stocked in it last year. Well, I I can't tell individually these things in the water. I can't see them well enough to see if they have that little red ear on them. Um, so I think I have a mix of both. And I have a bunch of them. And they're spawning and reproducing. And that gives me now a three different species of fish that I'm moving into complete sustainability with. I don't have to go out to nature and get more and bring them back. I'm, I'm happy to do it, but I don't have to. And that's really, really, really cool. And there's a couple things that I've, I've developed with, or I've noticed with this, observed, is, I didn't develop, I observed it. One is, when I built the big pond, I built a cinder block base, and I set a 100-gallon Rubbermaid tub in the water on it with the rim just above the surface. And I drilled a whole shitload of half-inch holes in it, my fish nursery. And 
these little guys figured out how to get inside there, and they're staying in there so that the catfish and the other big fish don't eat them. Because there's at least 50 of those little guys in there, in addition to these other ones that I'm seeing in these other structures. I may have to, and it, it really isn't that hard to lift out of the water, because as you lift it, it drains. So even though it would be you know, 800 pounds or whatever, as you lift it, it drains. So you can lift it, and it floats and drains. Lift it up a little bit. I might have to pop, like, some one-inch or one-and-a-quarter-inch holes in it just so as they get a little bigger, they don't get stuck in there, and I don't have to be netting them out. Um, but that's really cool. The other thing is where they're breeding. So I took some of the 21-gallon and 14-gallon concrete mixing trays. These are inexpensive. They're 7 8 bucks. You can buy them at... Home Depot and Lowe's. And I drilled holes in the bottom and I filled them with like gravel and I planted plants into them like lily pads. And I set them on towers where the water's about six inches over the rim. So they're under the water level. So they're completely underwater. That's where the fish are breeding. And that's also where the babies are hanging out as they're growing up, the ones that didn't go into the fish nursery. And that's protecting them because the big, I've got some big catfish in there now, and they're not going up in there. And even if they did go up in there, I've seen some pretty big fish up in there at times. When they're up in that environment, they're really not in a good position to feed because they kind of don't really fit in there really well. They're kind of like just hanging out. Like, this is a cool place to hang out, but they can't really maneuver well, so the babies have an advantage. Plus all of the other, um, like the reeds and stuff, are giving them tons of places to hide. The minnow population is exploding. Just really cool. I really encourage you to explore backyard aquaculture. And if you want to see all this and see how this has evolved over a year, again, come to the workshop that goes on sale Saturday. Next up, the not-so-good. Um, we always talk about the sh if the shit hits the fan. The shit is hitting the fan right now. I mean, exactly what I've been worrying, warning about over the last couple of weeks is happening right now. And I would say not only is the shit hitting the fan, the blades are throwing it pretty good. Um, there's a uh, video out today and people are like hell yeah that's the way and it's like didn't you see the first five minutes of the video or the first 30 seconds of the video so what happens is it's in Salem Oregon another place is probably a lost cause and a bunch of right wing Trump supporter types decide they're going to get together they're going to do a counter demonstration and some Antifa assholes decide to come cause disruption and problems in their demonstration And they get their asses handed to them. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? No. In the very beginning, there's some clown causing some shit, and two guys knock them on the ground and start mouthing them off, and, and they, they thump them a little bit, but they don't really hurt. I mean, this is a, uh, I would call it a gentle beatdown. Like, a guy, smack, a guy gets, a guy deserves it, too, just so you understand. Gets smacked around a little bit. But he's not going to the hospital. He's not getting up with black eyes or anything like that. He just got handed and put in his place. A whole shitload of cops run in, and they arrest the two guys that put him in his place immediately. And he gets up and runs away, and they don't, they don't do nothing to him. Now, this shit's been going on for weeks and months. And these people go, and they smash windows, they violently assault people, they throw uh, water bottles full of concrete or frozen water at people, They, they, they knock people unconscious. They set buildings on. And the police do absolutely the square root of F all nothing. These guys shove this clown on the ground and smack him around a little bit. And they're immediately there with riot gear and guns. And they grab him, hook him up, and leave. The problem is the clowns 
Because in other places where the Antifa got their ass handed to them, they didn't get arrested. Like, hell yeah, man, that's the way. It's like you're an idiot. And you're also seeing the powder keg get ready to explode. In one of the other scenes, this guy gets his ass handed to him, saying kind of the same thing, put down on the ground, told you stay there on the ground, you asshole, whatever. And the demonstrators are walking by and just basically telling him to stay on the ground. A woman walks up to him and said, this is for what you did to me. Now, what he did, I don't know. It could have been really bad. It could have been not so. I don't know. But she sprays him while he's laying on the ground with pepper spray. And she says, I told you I was going to get you. And she sounds like, I don't mean to be insulting, she sounds like the biggest piece of trailer trash garbage. She sounds like a leftist thug, except she's a rightist thug. And a thug is a thug. You have a man on the ground... Helpless and outnumbered, and you're talking to him like he's a complete piece of shit, and maybe he is. But when you start to see one side who's up till now said the other side, what they're doing is completely wrong and deranged, behave like the other side. You're at the edge of where the confluence is about to go supernova. This is about to get really, really bad. And so, one more time, get out, get out, get out, and stay out of this. Stay out of these confrontations, especially in these places. Again, people think I'm saying run away or whatever. No, get out and run away are different. Run away is running away because you're scared. Getting out is removing yourself from a situation because it is a no-win situation. It's not about fear of what will happen to me. It's a realization that there's nothing I can do in this place, at this time, that's to my benefit. So I'm going to block the punch, no be there. Because I'm in a situation where the people that I'm opposing can burn down a police station, shit in the street, assault people in broad daylight, attack buildings, attack other humans, and not be accosted by law enforcement in any way. And if I defend myself, I can be arrested. Only a fool goes into that situation willingly. Only a fool. And that's what happened to these guys. And I understand why. I get it. I'm not saying that they don't have a right to be angry. I'm not saying people don't have a right to defend themselves. But what we're seeing now is people not defending their property, not defending their homes. They're leaving their homes and their property to go confront the supposed enemy elsewhere And I'm seeing the same catchphrases that led this country into so many wasteful wars used to create war in our country. It's basically, we got to fight them over there so we don't fight them over here. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what the answer is when you say, stop doing this. Don't do this shit. This is a bad idea. Well, if you don't fight them there, they're going to come to my homestead out in the middle of nowhere. No, they're not. And if they do, then you will be fully justified in dropping the hammer a 30 caliber hammer right between their eyes when they do. You'll be fully justified. You'll be able to defend your need to do so. But if you go there and you so much as shove one of these, these little freaking snowflake assholes, you'll be arrested for aggravated assault. You are a fool if you do that. I'm sorry, but it's just the case that you are. But I, uh, 
I, I ask you if, you, if you still have a problem with me saying this, those of you that do, go watch this video. Listen to this woman, how she speaks when she talks to this man. And just assume the guy's a piece of shit. Doesn't matter. Listen to how she sounds. This is where human beings make a turn into darkness. And when you go there, it is very difficult to come back from. So if you're going to do it, you do it because you have to, not because you choose to. People are choosing the darkness now. And what you end up with is a war where both sides end up being the bad guys. I know it's hard for some people to understand, but get out of the way. Let these clashes happen. And people say, well, where is the line? I'll tell you where it isn't. It's not in downtown Portland. It's not in downtown Los Angeles. It's not in downtown Seattle. It's not in, in, in the middle of New York City. right? It's not in these cities. It's not in these cities. It's when it spreads past there and you can justify defending your property where you're not surrounded by law enforcement that's basically pledged to protect the people attacking them. Because the, the, the mayors of these towns want this to happen for some deranged reason. It is a trap. It is designed to be a trap. They want you to go there so you don't. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Uh, people are writing ballads to that young man Kyle up in, with, in Kenosha, right, that, that shot those guys. Hey, you know what? When a guy shoots a pedophile in the head, there's a little part of me that's happy. You know? It, it, it really. I mean, I, I, there's, I, I, I don't think he was wrong for defending himself, but I'll bet you this. He probably won't say it publicly because it would hurt his case. But I, get, I guarantee you right now, if you gave him a, a do-over and say, if you now, knowing what became of that night, somehow could go back in time to one hour before you went into that situation, would you still go? He would say, hell no. His life is ruined. It's destroyed. When I tell you to stay out of it, I'm trying to prevent you from destroying your life. Even if he beats the charges, his life will never be, his life will never be the same. It will probably never be good again. And I, I, I'm telling you, I hate to say this, but I think even if he wins this, he has a high probability sometime in the future of suicide. This is, this is not a good path to walk when it leads to a place like this. It really isn't. Stay out. Next up, another place to get out of, again, I've been saying it a lot, but the, the government school system. Today, I think it was out of Colorado. It was somewhere. New one. Same thing I talked about before, though. Kids are in a virtual school. Teacher notices a toy gun in the background. Calls the police. They go out, do a welfare check on the house, ransack the kid's room. They suspend the kid for bringing a gun to school. Because, again, these schools are saying that when you do virtual school, the area around them, at least everything on camera, becomes school property for the duration of the school. Get your kids out of school. Get your kids out of school. Get your kids out of school and stop. Do me a favor. Stop telling me you can't. No, in fact, I'm going to put it differently. Stop stop lying to yourself and saying that you can't. And I know you're not going to want to hear what I'm about to say. But sometimes what you don't want to hear is the most important thing you can hear. When you let's let's take the issue and change it to change to anything else you feel a little more comfortable with if you don't feel comfortable with this one for a minute. I can't is laziness defined. I can't shuts down the mind. I can't because I guarantee you, once you say those three words, the mind 
will complete the equation and give you a list of things to fill the blank in with. Because that's how the mind works. Remember, I've talked about this before. Your mind is a self-learning mental computer. When you give it a problem, it solves for X. And when you say, mind, I need X to have multiple variables. I need multiple, I need X, Y, Z, P, D, Q, right? I need it all. It will keep giving you answers. It will keep giving you answers because that's how the mind works. So I can't, if you actually want to do something, saying you can't do it is a way to shut down ever having a solution to the problem. That's what it is. You don't have to like it. You can be mad at me, but it's what it is. I don't make the rules here. I'm just telling you how they work. When you say, how can I... The mind is now challenged with a worthy question, and it does the same thing. It solves for X. So stop saying, I can't. You can say two things. I don't want to. They're your kids. You're fully informed. You don't want to homeschool. Okay. I can't infers that I would like to, but I can't. So now I say, you're full of shit. Yes, you can. And then you can, you can start filling that blank in and give me all these reasons that you can't do it. Or you can say, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a big boy or a big girl. I'm going to stop pretending that there's millions of people doing something and I am not capable of doing what those millions of people do. Because I don't care what you fill in the blank with. I'm a single father. I'm a single mother. I work two jobs. There's somebody somewhere doing it that's the same as you. If they can do it, you can do it. The key is how. So I need you guys, and that's not just about homeschool, to stop using I can't. And to start asking how can I. If you actually want to be able to do something, that's what you do because that kicks the mind into overdrive. And even if you don't get an answer right away, if, if I have something I want to do and I don't know how to do it, I get up every morning and at least once first thing, first thing in the morning after my first cup of coffee, whatever, how can I get this done? How can I get this? And I, sometimes I'm like, I don't have time to deal with it right now. i got other shit to deal with. I just go on. But that that's in the brain now. It's running a background process. And it might even solve, you might have a dream or two. You might have a thing you observe or two. And the next day you're going to say, how can I, oh wait, what if I, and what if I did this? Hmm, that's part of the solution. Let me make a note of that so I don't forget that I came up with this, because I could. And let me process this again, and you will find an answer. To almost anything. You have the most powerful computer in the world between your ears. For everything we've done with AI, nothing is as powerful as the human brain really is. You can make a computer use AI to do a specific thing, and it, it can beat a person, let's say, at playing chess or flying an airplane. But it can't decide for itself the problem that it wants to solve. Not yet, anyway. And even if they make that someday, even if they do get there someday, you already have it. And humanity has had that since we were walking around, living in caves, and beating shit to death with clubs. And that's how we got from being people that walked around, lived in caves, and beat shit to death with clubs to being able to develop computers that can learn. Because we said, how can I? So understand 
that the state system at this point is committing child abuse in the school systems on a daily basis, telling you openly they're doing it and saying it's for your own good. So you owe it to your kids to at least ask the question, how can I, and stop saying you can't. And if you can't, asking how can I won't change what you do. I think most people, though, are afraid to start asking how can I because they're afraid they'll actually get an answer. Don't be afraid of an answer to how can I do anything. Last but not least, as we wrap up today, COVID is fixing to go on full life support. It is crashing hard. I have a link in the show notes today where you can see, I think it was July 22nd, or it was July 19th. It's somewhere in there. Uh, one date is the actual date of the height of COVID in Texas, and one date is the day I called it. I was two days off, one way or the other. But you can see where I explain the entire pattern, exactly how it's going to work, and why we're there right now. I it's And I show... Graph after graph after graph in the comments of this original post. Exactly what's going to happen, and I give you the exact timeline of being, once you're here, it's six to eight weeks, and I come up with a date, I think was September 13th. It is now September 8th. We had friends over. One is a nurse practitioner. She works in an ICU unit. They haven't had a person in their hospital with COVID for a week and a half now. None. It's about 4,400 people in a state with 29 million people in a hospital for COVID right now. Eight weeks ago, it was like 11,000, almost 12,000 people. It's running its cycle because it runs its cycle, and it's dying. It's dying. And it's not only dying in numbers, it's dying in virility. These Things hit the people who are going to die first, so they always look worse in the beginning than they do at the end. And that's why you shouldn't get out. Of, that's why I said back in March, it's not new, and it's not worth changing our lives over. And people told me to shut the F up. I didn't know I was, you know, and, and, and being crazy was a much better plan than being rational and logical. I, I can't find the post today, so I can't link to it for it, but I just saw something recently that showed the hospitalization rate, the death rate, per case starting in March and it goes down every month till now where it's at this point if they were telling you the truth and you looked at the last 30 days it is insignificant in the lives of Americans now the lockdowns aren't and the stupid policies aren't and that has to that's to clue you into something this is a plan this is a plan to control the population i know that sounds a little tin hat i don't but you know what when you eliminate all explanations Whatever remains, no matter how improbable, is probably the truth, and that's where we are. There's no good explanation for shitting all over valid treatments, having states where there hasn't been a problem with COVID now for three or four months, like New York, still locked down, tighter than a monkey's butt. Being able to look at countries that did full lockdowns and countries that did nothing, and they have the exact same results. Sweden's not the failure they told it. If you have to go look at it, go look at this. Look at what happened in Sweden. You can see exactly what happened. It's the same thing happened anywhere else that COVID came to. And they didn't destroy their economy. So this is planned. And, and, and I want you to be ready for this to get worse. And I think it's about time for us to say no more. I think it, I, instead of going out and protesting Antifa assholes in Portland, Oregon, how about we all take off our masks and go back to work and go back and open our businesses all at the same time? 
And I think somewhere around September 15th is about the right time to do it. I've seen some, some I, I said that. I don't know if that's why that date started floating around or not, if I had that much influence on it or it just happened to be somebody else felt the same way. But I think somewhere around September 15th is like, like screw everybody, we're going back. And ev But this is the problem. The left is good at organization and the right is not. They're not. Right is not good at organizing. They're, they're just not. Now, they can organize a march or something, but like an action day? Because the way this works, if every restaurant, and let's say Fort Worth and around this area, around that I live in Fort Worth, Tarrant County, if every restaurant opens up, puts up a sign that says we're not requiring masks, takes all the black squares off the every other table thing and says we're going back to full capacity. That's what we're doing in every grocery store. And it doesn't have to be the big ones. It can be all the little ones. And they all do it at the same time. There's literally nothing that the state can do. If three do it, they'll go arrest them, find them, shut them down. But if everybody does it all at the same time, and when I say everybody, I mean a shitload of people. All right? I don't mean literally everybody. There's nothing they can do. I just don't see enough coordination on the people that want to go back to normal. Because we could do it in a day. We could do it in a day. If everybody just goes, it's over for them. And their charade is over. But I don't see it happening. So what I want you to be prepared for is more lies than ever before. And I want you to understand what you're dealing with. Think of like a sci-fi thing where a guy takes a girl down in a bunker and says there's been a nuclear war and I have to keep you here for your own safety. That's what's going on now. The state has always been the abusive boyfriend, but they've ratcheted it up to the abusive boyfriend that's kidnapped you into a bunker, but has convinced you it's for your own safety. You're not being protected. These stupid masks do not help anything. And it's time to go back to living. It's time to go back to living. And more and more doctors are saying that. Doctors that have been through the surge, that have treated the patients, are saying this. But you won't hear them. They won't be on your TV. Just fear, fear, fear. Fear only has power that we give it. And we need to stop giving into this fear. And you don't fix this by arguing with a Karen on Facebook. You fix it by living your life and the rest of the world be damned. And that's what I've tried to do through this whole thing and what I've tried to encourage through this whole thing. But now's the time to really do it. Everywhere visible all at once. I'm not sure how to do that. But if there is a movement for it, I will throw my full weight behind it. With that, let me remind you that if you like the show and the work that we do, there's a lot of ways you can help us. One of those is to become a member of the Member Support Brigade. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. It's 50 bucks a year. You'll get discounts. It'll be way better than 50 bucks a year. If you want to become a ButcherBox customer, just for instance, you can save $120 a year on ButcherBox for a $50 membership, and then there's like 60 other companies that do discounts. Gun Adapters does discounts. Those things are cool as shit, right? Uh, Ridge Wallet does discounts. There's The Berkey Guide does discounts. There's tons of discounts. Western Botanicals does a discount that pays for your membership and its free membership right out of the gate. Just tons and tons of options if you become a member. Consider becoming one today because this is the number one way that we're able to keep doing it. It's how I've done this for 12 years. Without members, I couldn't do it. Next up, you can also do your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z. Uh, if you do your online shopping there, you help us out no matter what you buy. It's the painless way to do it. It doesn't cost you anything. 
maybe a couple extra seconds of your time when you're going to buy something online anyway. Today's item of the day, the 3D cell and 2C cell flashlights from Maglite. These are very old school tech. Now, they're the LED lights, they're, so they're the, one of the later generations of them, but they've been around a while. They were one of the first items I ever put on T-SPAS. Um, a lot of people have gone to more modern lights that cost more money. I'm a big believer in utilitarian product for utilitarian need. And so it might be nice to have a really high-end tactical light as an EDC light. For something that I'm going to have three or four or six of, I want utilitarian. I want it to work. I don't want it to break. And I want to know it's going to be there when I need it. And I want it to serve the function that I have it for. I have one of these. I have two of these on my on my windowsill to the back of the house. I have one up by the front of the house, front door. I have the smaller C-cells like in my glove boxes in my trucks. I The C, two C-cell mag light is my go-to light for bug out bags. It's a fantastic light. One extra set of batteries, you got light for a long time, and you got a lot of light. They're also good as a defensive tool. <clears throat> you want to take somebody out? Tell you what you do. You take that mag light while it's off. <clears throat> you hit their eyes with it. And when they're blind, you crack them in a the skull with a light. Now, don't go doing that to people all over the place, right? But you understand what I'm saying. Like, you have somebody come to your door, try to get in your door. You hit them in the eyes with that light, and it's a half a second after that light hits their eyes, cracking the bean, it will flat level you, right? So it's there as an impact tool as well. It, it, it's got a lot of utility, and they just work. They just work. And the reason I brought them back, I just had them like a month ago. They're on sale again. And the two C-cell lights is a stupid cheap price right now. So check it out, tspaz.com. Remember, if you're on the Daily Mail, you'll get this. And if you're on the new Telegram channel, you'll get all of the posts to the blog as well. So you'll know about them in real time. I don't think Maglites are going to sell out on Amazon, but a lot of stuff has. So, again, consider that Telegram channel. And remember, uh, that Telegram channel will get you 10 minutes early access to the workshop coming Saturday morning. And if nothing else, as long as you don't turn off the alerts, Your phone will go off and you won't forget because it happens. It does. With that, let's talk about our song of the day today. Today's song of the day has a, a verbal intro. This is an independent artist. His name is Buddy Brown. He's starting to kind of really take off on uh, YouTube. He's, uh, he's very much in the niche of blue-collar, everyday, working-class Americans. Definitely probably appeals to the Trump voter, right? Not why it appeals to me, but... He, 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 he's that guy. And what I love about him is he's building a career in music exactly the way I said that any artist who was any good could do so. He's proving the model that I've been teaching for a long time. And he's doing it with social media and YouTube. The song is called Privilege. And I didn't discover this guy from an audience member or anything. He just showed up as an associated video and I was like, I'll listen to this. And I really like what he had to say, and what I, what I really like in this song is it's about the concept of chasing your dreams and working hard to get what you had. And, and some of the things, you know, if it's autobiographical, I'm not sure, but that he went through. One of the things he's talking about sleeping in his truck. I didn't sleep in my truck for six months, but I slept, well, I did. I just didn't sleep in it every night for six months. When I was coming up in, in the world, And I first started, I took a job in telecommunications and I was contracting. I didn't make a lot of money. I did it to learn first and then make money second. And I, I was paid some per diem while I was out of town. And I really couldn't afford to take that job for the money it paid and stay in a hotel every night. 
So I would sleep a couple nights a week in my truck to save that extra money and make it where it made sense for me to have that job. So I identify with those lines. But what I really identify with is the concept that if you chase your dream and you manage to catch it, that doesn't make it privilege. And so when I heard that, I really liked it. He's not the greatest stars in the world, but he's not bad. And I'm going to play his... Uh, His verbal introduction to this song is well for you today. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. What's going on, y'all? Last week I did a video on privilege, and it is going viral now on a whole bunch of different platforms. I'm really glad uh, this message is getting out there, but I wanted to follow it up with the song itself because this had been an idea uh, of mine for quite some time. It's called Privilege. And before we even start, shout out to all the men, all the women from all walks of life, all races, that are waking up every single morning and taking care of their dadgum business and working hard and going to school and getting a job and doing whatever you got to do to provide for yourself, provide for your family, and be a outstanding citizen. That's what it's about. It ain't that hard. Staying out of trouble. That's privilege. It's to be born in the greatest country that there ever was, the United States of America. Here we go. I've had to grind for every dollar that I made. There ain't no such thing as easy roads to take People say that I've got privilege, man, hell no I'm only here cause granddad made it through the war And I try to make peace with everyone that I meet They say I'm lucky, yeah, I'm lucky I've worked hard When your feet touch down here in the USA It ain't privilege, it's the choices that you make And it's up to you to live the life you want Ain't nobody gonna help you out at all You might call it getting lucky You might call it catching breaks might get mad and curse the system that you live with But if somehow you succeed and catch your dreams It ain't privilege I've had to scratch and claw, rise up and get knocked down Lost my job and had the landlord kick me out Slept inside my truck for three cold months and then Didn't break, but boy, I sure learned how to bend Cause when your feet touch down here in the USA It ain't privilege, it's the choices that you make And it's up to you to live the life you want Nobody gonna help you out at all You might call it getting lucky You might call it catching breaks You might get mad and curse the system that you live with But if somehow you succeed and catch your dreams It ain't privilege It ain't privilege I've had to grind for every dollar that I made 
There ain't no such thing as easy roads to take. Mm-hmm.